Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The FT. The name of Joe Boyd is rarely heard without its obligatory prefix, legendary rock producer. If you've never heard of him, then you haven't engaged seriously with the music of the 1960s and early 70s. Here are three of his achievements that will make you wonder how he passed you by. He produced the brilliantly whimsical first Pink Floyd single, Arnold Lane. He devised and co-directed Jimi Hendrix, the definitive 1973 documentary on the virtuoso guitarist. And he signed Nick Drake. The fragile talent of Drake was a high point of the British singer-songwriter scene of that era. Trouble is, not many people realised it at the time. Drake's three studio albums went largely unloved and unsold. Boyd and a coterie of rock luminaries thought he was touched by genius, but Drake, moody, introverted and contemptuous of any attempt to market him, slowly sank from lack of recognition. It was the X factor in reverse. The more opportunities he threw away, he refused virtually every interview and hardly ever played live, the greater his pain at being overlooked for palpably lesser talents. Cult following, until it reaches a critical mass, feels like no following at all. Drake died at the age of 26 from an overdose of antidepressants. It may or may not have been suicide. Last weekend, Boston-born Boyd hosted a quiet evening at the House of St Barnabas in Soho, a fashionable private members' club which supports a charitable foundation for the homeless, as part of its classic Album Sundays series. He was there to introduce a solemn playing of Drake's second record, 1970's Brighter Later, which he produced, to a small and devoted audience. To say the atmosphere was reverential would be to understate matters. The gathering was held in the house's lavish Anglo-Catholic chapel, and the record played in vinyl format on a dizzyingly expensive sound system. We were asked not to speak while the music was playing. Does anybody do that with albums anymore? Does anyone know what an album is? Churchgoers will know this, but it's amazing where the mind goes when it is not allowed to process emails and there's a large crucifix suspended from the ceiling in the twilight. Drake's music never sounded more spiritually laden, even though Brighter Later is the happiest of his three albums. His breathy voice was virtually unintelligible, as if even to make himself understood constituted a form of commercial betrayal. The playing from a team of randomly gathered sidemen, including the Velvet Underground's John Cale, was skilled and sympathetic. Brighter Later was supposed to be a breakout album, full of strings and saxes and relatively upbeat tempo. Here's an extract from the album's second track, Hazy Jane 2.
Boyd and his colleagues laboured mightily to get the arrangements and the mix right. They finally played the finished version to Drake, who immediately said that his next album would be just him and his guitar. If Boyd had been crushed by that verdict, he didn't let on. He had other projects to work on, not least masterminding the career of Fairport Convention, the still underappreciated pioneers of British folk rock. Drake had no projects to work on, other than his accelerating retreat from the world. His next and final album, Pink Moon, not even half an hour in length, was a bleak harbinger of his ultimate demise. But the very title track of that record played a key role in bringing him back to the attention of the public. In 2000, it was used in an unusually oneric advertisement for the Volkswagen Cabrio. Watch it on YouTube, and to this day, passionate and eloquent arguments rock back and forth as to the tastefulness of using troubled art to sell cars. But sell cars it did, and it also began to sell the music of Nick Drake. Drake, who was Marlborough-educated and won a scholarship to read English at Cambridge, knew a thing or two about doomed romantics, but not a lot about the corporate world. He resisted it with a self-defeating stubbornness which bordered on the surreal. When Ireland tried to break him in America, they invited journalists to the Troubadour Club in Los Angeles, who were confronted by a cardboard cutout of the singer on stage. The ever-desperate label had tried to make a cute selling point of Drake's reclusiveness. Guess what? It didn't work. But give the corporate world enough time, and it gets there in the end. The Cabrio commercial helped spark a wave of interest in Drake. His music sells steadily now, and is quoted by many a contemporary musician for its potent lyricism. There have been documentaries, repackaged outtakes, blizzards of tributes. Brad Pitt, we are led to understand, loves Nick Drake. Can a biopic be far behind? All these thoughts turn round our minds as we bowed before the crucifix in Soho. What we were worshipping was a long-gone rock star and a defunct medium. But it made for a meditative study in art and time, or rather the way in which art can be cheated by its own time. Where would Nick Drake have ended up in today's cultural landscape? It's hard to imagine him thriving in what is a much less patient world. Perhaps he would have felt pressure to finish his degree, given up the silly songwriting, gone into advertising. But where would he have found a song as good as Pink Moon? He could barely have felt more of an outcast than he did back in what should have been his heyday. Take it from one who was there at the time and remembers. The world just wasn't ready for him, said Boyd in the candlelight glow at the end of the evening, and he wasn't talking about Jesus Christ. Zoe written and a Zoe say Bring the moon is on its way None of you stand so tall Bring the moon when I get you For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. 
In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.